Chapter 12 of In the Reign of Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ryan Cherrick. In the Reign of Terror by George Alfred Hinty. Chapter 12. Nantes. Harry was very pleased to see a look of recognition on Victor's face as he came up to the side of his couch. "'Well, Victor,' he said cheerfully. "'I am glad to see you looking more yourself again,' Victor nodded assent, and in his hand feebly returned the pressure of Harry's. "'I can't understand it,' he said after a pause. "'I seem to be in a dream, but it is true Marie is here, isn't she?' "'Ah, yes, she is chatting now with her sisters, Jenny and Virginie, you know.' And why am I here, Victor asked, looking around the room. Marie tells me not to ask questions. No, there will be plenty of time for that afterwards, Victor. It is all simple enough. You were out with me, and there was an accident, and you got hurt. So I and a workman who was passing carried you into this house, and he and his wife have been taking care of you. You have been very ill, but you are getting on better now. Marie has come to nurse you, and she won't leave you until you are quite well. Now I think that's enough for you and the doctor would be very angry if he knew I had told you so much, because he said you were not to bother yourself about things at all, but just to sleep as much as you can, and eat as much as you can, and listen to Marie talking and reading to you, and not trouble your brain in any way, because it's your brain that has gone wrong, and any thinking will be very bad for it. This explanation seemed satisfactory to Victor, who soon after dozed off to sleep, and Harry joined the party in Marie's sitting room. Oh, if I could but keep him here with me, Harry, what comfort it would be. I know that it would be, Marie, but it's too dangerous. You know they were denounced at Louis Moulin's. Already there is risk enough in you and Victor being here. The search for royalists does not relax. Indeed, it seems to become more and more keen every day. Victor's extreme illness is your best safeguard. The neighbors have heard that Jacques has a fellow workman dangerously ill for some long time, and Victor can no longer be locked up as a stranger to be suspected. While you are coming here to help nurse him, will seem so natural a step that it will excite no comment. But any fresh addition of numbers would be sure to give rise to talk, and you would have a commissary of the commune here in no time to make inquiries and to ask for your papers of domicile. Yes, I know that it would be too dangerous to risk, Marie agreed, but I tremble at the thought of their journey. I have every hope that we shall get through safely, Henry Harry said. I have some good news. I have not yet told you. I have received a paper from Rospierre stating that I have been his secretary and recommending us all to the authorities so that we can dispense with them ordinary papers which they would not otherwise ask for. That is good news indeed, Harry, Marie said. That relieves me of half my anxiety. Once on the sea coast, it will be comparatively easy to get a passage to England. My dear Harry... You surprise me more every day, and I am ashamed to think that when our dear father and mother first told me that they had accepted your noble offer to look after us, I was inclined in my heart to think that such protection would be of little use. You see, I confess, Harry, and you know that is a halfway to forgiveness. There is nothing either to confess or forgive, Harry said with a smile. It was perfectly natural for you to think that a lad of eighteen was a slender reed to lean on in time of trouble and danger and that it was only by a lucky accident, for saving Rospierre's life was but an accident, that I had been enabled to be of use to you, and that I have now a pass which will enable me to take your sisters with comparative safety as far as Nantes. Had it not been for that, I could have done little indeed to aid you. 
You must not say so, Harry. You are too modest. Besides, was it not your quickness that saved Victor? No, we owe you everything, and disclaimers are only thrown away. As for me, I feel quite jealous of Jenny's superior perspicacity, for she trusted you absolutely from the first. It has nothing to do with perspicacity, Jenny said. Harry saved my life from that dreadful dog, and after that I knew if there was danger he would be able to get us out of it. That is, if it were possible for anyone to do so. I hope I shall be able to justify your trust, Jenny, and arrive safely with you at my father's house. I can promise you the warmest of welcomes from my mother and sisters. I fear they must long since have given me up for dead. I shall be like a shipwrecked mariner who has been cast upon an island and given up as lost. But my father always used to say that if I was a first-rate hand at getting into scraps, I was equally good at getting out of them again, and I don't think they will have quite despaired of seeing me again, especially, as they know, by the last letters I sent them, that you all said I could speak French well enough to pass anywhere as a native. How surprised they will be at your arriving with two girls in Louise, Virginie said. It will be pleased more than surprised, Harry replied. I have written so much about you in my letters that the girls and my mother will be delighted to see you. Besides, Jenny added, the boys will have told them you are waiting behind with us, so they will not be surprised as they would otherwise have been. But it will be funny, arriving among people who don't speak a word of our language. You will soon be at home with them, said Harry reassuringly. Jenny and Kate are just about your ages, and I expect they will have grown so I shall hardly know them. It is nearly three years now since I left them, and I have to look at you to assure myself that Jenny will have grown up almost into a young woman. Now I shall go out for a bit and leave you to chat together. You need not fidget about Victor, Marie. Elise is with him and will come and let you know if he wakes, but I hope that he has gone off fairly to sleep for the night. He knew me, and I think I have put his mind at rest a little as to how he came here. I have told him it was an accident in the street and that we brought him in here, and he has been too ill since to be moved. I don't think he will ask any more questions. If I were you, I would, while nursing, resume the dress you came in here. It will be less puzzling to him than the one you are wearing now. The little party started the next morning at daylight, and at the very first village they came to found how strict was the watch upon persons leaving Paris, and had no reason to congratulate themselves upon the possession of Raspierre's safe conduct. No sooner had they sat down in the village cabaret to breakfast than an official with a red scarf presented himself and asked them who they were and where they were going. The production of the document at once satisfied him, and, indeed, he immediately addressed the young man in somewhat shabby garments, who had the honor of being secretary to the great man in tones of the greatest respect. Virginie, at present, was shy and awkward in her attire as a boy, and, indeed, had there been time the night before to procure a disguise for her as a girl, it would have been done, although Harry's opinion that it would attract less attention for her to travel as a boy was unchanged, but he would have given way had it been possible to make the change, as any delay, however, would certainly be dangerous. The original plan was adhered to. Marie had cut her sister's hair short, and no one would have suspected her from her appearance that Virginie was not what she seemed, a good-looking boy of some thirteen years old, with their bundles in their hands, they trugged along the road and stopped for the night at a village about twelve miles out of Paris. After having again satisfied the authorities by the production of the pass, Harry made inquiries, and the next morning went two miles away to a farmhouse where there was, he heard, a cart and a horse to be disposed of. After much haggling over terms, 
since to give the sum that was first asked would have excited surprise and perhaps suspicion, Harry became the professor, possessor of the house and cart, drove triumphantly back to the village, and having stowed Louise and two girls in some straw on the bottom of the cart, proceeded on the journey. They met with no adventure whatever on the journey to Nantes, which was performed in ten days. The weather was bitterly cold, although it was now well on in March, the snow lay deep on the ground, but the girls were well wrapped up, and the cart was filled with straw which helped to keep them warm. Harry walked for the most part by the side of the horse's head, for they could only proceed at foot pace, but he sometimes climbed up and took the reins, to better chat with the girls and keep up their spirits. There was no occasion for this in the case of Jenny, but Virginie often gave way and cried bitterly and the old nurse suffered greatly from the cold in spite of her warm wraps. On arriving at Nantes, Harry proceeded first to the main, and on producing Rospierre's document received a permit to lodge in the town. He then looked for apartments in the neighborhood of the river, and when he obtained them, disposed of the horse and cart. A statement that he was Rospierre's secretary at once secured for him much attention from the authorities and he was invited to become a member of the Revolutionary Committee during his stay in the town, in order that he might see for himself with what zeal the instructions received from Paris for the extermination of the Royalists were being carried out. This offer he accepted, as it would enable him to obtain information of all that was going on. Had it not been for this, he would gladly have declined the honor, for his feelings were daily harrowed by arrests and massacres which he was powerless to prevent, for he did not venture to raise his voice on the side of mercy for had he done so, he would have been certain to excite suspicion. He found that, horrible as were the atrocities committed in Paris, they were even surpassed by those which enacted in the provinces, and that in Nantes in particular, a terrible persecution was raging under the director of Carrier, who had been set down from Paris as a commissioner from the commune there. Harry's next object was to make acquaintance of some of the fishermen, and to find out what vessels were engaged in smuggling goods across to England, and for it was one of these alone that he could hope to cross the channel. This, however, he found much more difficult than he had expected. The terror was universal. The news of the execution of the king had heightened the dismay. Massacres were going on all over France. The lowest ruffians in all the great towns were now their masters, and under the pretended accusations were wrecking their hate upon their respectable inhabitants. Private enmities were wiped out in blood. None were too high or too low to be denounced as royalists. The denunciation was followed, as a matter of course, by a mock trial and execution. Every man distrusted his neighbor, and fear caused those who most loathed and hated the existence, the existing regime to be loudest in their advocacy of it. There were spies everywhere men who received blood money for every victim they denounced. Thus, then, Harry's efforts to make acquaintances among the sailors met with very slight success. He was a stranger, and that was sufficient to cause distrust, and ere long it became whispered that he had come from Paris with special authority to hasten on the work of the extirpation of the enemies in the state. Soon, therefore, Harry perceived that as he moved along the little quay, of groups of sailors and fishermen talking together broke up at his approach, the men sauntering off to the wine shops, and any he accosted replied civilly indeed, but with embarrassment and restraint, and although any questions of a general character were answered, a profound ignorance was manifested upon the subject upon which he wished to gain information. 
The sailors all seemed to know that occasionally cargoes of spirits were run from the river to England, but none could name any vessel engaged in the trade. Harry soon perceived that as he was regarded with absolute hostility, and one day one of the sailors said to him quietly, Citizen, I am a good sans culotte, and I warn you, you had best not to come down the river after dark, for there is a strong feeling against you, and unless you would like your body to be fished out of the water with a half dozen knife holes in it, you will take my advice. Harry began to feel almost crushed under his responsibilities. His attendance at the Revolutionary Committee tried him greatly. He made no progress whatever in his efforts to obtain a passage. And to add to his trouble, the old nurse, who had been much exhausted by the change from her usual habits and the inclemency of the weather on her journey, instead of gaining strength, appeared to be rapidly losing it, and was forced to take to her bed. The terrible events in Paris and the long string of anxiety as to the safety of the girls and the fate of Marie had completely exhausted her strength. In the last six months had aged her as many years. Harry tried hard to keep up his appearance of hopefulness and to cheer the girls, but Jenny's quick eye speedily perceived the change in him. You are wearing yourself out, Harry, she said one evening as they were sitting by the fire. While Virginie was tending Louise in the next room, I can see it in your face. It is of no use you are trying to deceive me. You tell us every day that you hope soon to get hold of the captain of a boat sailing for England, but I know that in reality you are making no progress. All these months we were hoping to get Marie out of prison, though it seemed next to impossible. You told us not to despair, and I knew you did not despair yourself. But now it is different. I am sure that you do in your heart almost give up hope. Why don't you trust me, Harry? I may not be able to do much, but I might try to cheer you. You have been comforting us all this time. Surely it is time I took my turn. I am not a child now. I feel like one just at present, Harry said unsteadily with quivering lips. I feel sometimes as if, as we used to say at school, I could cry for two pence. I know, Jenny, I can trust you, and it isn't because I doubted your courage that I have not told you exactly how things are going on, but because it is entirely upon you now that Louise and Virginie have to depend, and I do not wish to put any more weight on your shoulders. But it will be a relief to me to tell exa you exactly how we stand. Harry then told her how completely he had failed with the sailors and how an actual feeling of hostility against him had arisen. I think I could have stood that, Jenny, but it was just the terrible committee that tries me. It is so awful hearing these friends marking out the victims and exulting over their murder that at times I feel tempted to throw myself upon some of them and strangle them. It must be dreadful, Harry, Jenny said soothingly. Will it not be possible for you to give out that you are ill and so absent yourself for a time from their meetings? I am sure you could look ill, ill enough for anything. As to the sailors, do not let that worry you. Even if you could hear of a ship at present, it would be of no use. I couldn't leave Louise. She seems to be getting worse and worse, and the doctor you called in three days ago thinks so too. I can see it by his face. I think he is a good man. The woman whose sick child I sat up with last night tells me the poor all love him. I am sure he guesses that we are not what we seem. He said this morning to me, I cannot do much for your grandmother. It is a general breakup. I have many cases like it of old people and women upon whom the anxiety of the times is told. Do not worry yourself with watching, child. She will sleep quietly and will not need attendance. 
If you don't mind, I shall have you on my hands. Anxiety affects the young as well as the old. At any rate, you see, we cannot think of leaving here at present. Louise has risked everything for us. It is quite impossible for us to leave her now, so do not let that worry you. We are all in God's hands, Harry. We must wait patiently what he may send us. We will wait patiently, Harry said. I feel better now, Jenny, and you shall not see me give way again. What has been worrying me is the thought that it would have been wiser to have carried out some other plan, to have put you and Virginie, for instance, in some far house not far from Paris, and for you to have waited there till the storm blew over. You must never think like that, Harry, Jenny said earnestly. You know we are all talked it over dozens of times, Louise and all of us, and we agreed that this was our best chance, and Marie, when she came out, quite thought so too. So... Whatever comes, you must not blame yourself in the slightest. Wherever we were, we were in danger, and might have been denounced. I arranged it all, Jenny. I have the responsibility of you being here. And to an equal extent, you would have had the responsibility of our being anywhere else. So it is of no use letting that trouble you. Now, as to the sailors, you know I have made the acquaintance of some of the women in our street. Some of them are sailors' wives, and possibly... Through them I may be able to hear about ships. At any rate, I could try. Perhaps you could, Jenny. But be very, very careful what questions you put, or you might be betrayed. I don't think there is much fear of that, Harry. The women are more outspoken than the men. Some of them are with what they call the people, but it is clear that others are quite the other way. You see, trade has been almost stopped, and there is a great suffering among the sailors and their families. Of course, I have been very careful not to seem to have more money than other people, but I have been able to make soups and things. I have learned to be quite a cook from seeing Louise at work, and I take them those that are very poor, especially if they have children ill, and I think I have won some of their hearts. You win everyone's heart who comes near you, Jenny, I think, Harry said earnestly. Jenny flushed a rosy red, but said with a laugh, Now, Harry, you are turning flatterer. We are not at the chateau now, sir, so your pretty speeches are quite thrown away. And now I shall go and take Virginie's place and send her in to you. And so another month went by, and the old nurse quietly passed away. She was buried to the girl's great grief without any religious ceremony, for the priests were all hiding or had been murdered, and Franz had solemnly renounced God and placed reason on his throne. In the meantime... Jenny had been steadily carrying on her work among her poorer neighbors, sitting up at night with sick children and supplying food to starving little ones, saying quietly in reply to the words of gratitude to the women, My grandmother has laid by savings during her long years of service. She will not want it long, and we are old enough to work for ourselves. Besides, our brother Henry will take care of us, so we are glad to be able to help those who need it. While she worked, she kept her ears open. And from the talk of the woman learned that the husbands of one or two of them were employed in vessels engaging in carrying on smuggling operations with England. A few days after the death of Louis, one of these women, whose child Jenny had helped to nurse through a fever, had brought round by keeping it well supplied with good food, exclaimed, Oh, how much we owe you, mademoiselle, for your goodness. You must not call me mademoiselle, Jenny said, shaking her head. It would do you harm, and me too, if that were heard. It comes so natural, the woman said with a sigh. I was in service once, in a good family before I married Adolf. 
but I know that you are not one of those people who say there is no God, because I saw you kneel down and pray by Julie's bed when you thought I was asleep. I expect Adolf home in a day or two. The poor fellow will be wild with delight when he sees the little one on his feet again. And when he went away a fortnight ago, he did not expect ever to see her alive again, and it almost broke his heart. But what was he to do? There are so many men out of work that it, if he had not sailed on the lugger, there would have been scores to take his place, and he might not perhaps have been taken on again. He has been to England, has he not? Jenny asked. Yes, the lugger carries silks and brandy. It is a dangerous trade, for the channel is swarming with English cruisers. But what is he to do? One must live. Is your husband in favor of the new state of things? Jenny asked. Not in his heart, mademoiselle, any more than I am. But he holds his tongue. Most of the sailors in the port hate these murdering tyrants of ours. But what can we do? Well, Marth, I am sure I can trust you. And your husband can help me if he will. Surely you can trust me, the woman said. I would lay down my life for you. And I know Adolf would do so too when he knows what you have done for us. Well then, Marth, I and my sister and my brother Henry are so anxious to be taken to England. We are ready to pay well for a passage, but we have not known how to set about it. I thought it might be that, Marth said quietly, for anyone who knows the ways of gentlefolk as I do could see with half an eye that you are not one of us. But they say, mademoiselle, that your brother is a friend of Raspierre and that he is one of the committee here. He is only pretending, Marth, in order that no suspicion should fall upon us. But he finds that the sailors distrust him, and he cannot get to speak with them about taking a passage. So I thought I would speak to you, and you can tell me when a boat is sailing and who is her captain. Adolf will manage all that for you, never fear, the woman said. I know that many a poor soul has been hidden away on board this smuggler's craft and got safely out of the country. But of course, it's a risk, for it is death to assist any of the suspects. Still, the sailors are ready to run the risk, and indeed they haven't much fear of the consequences, if they are caught. For the sailor population here are very strong, and they would not stand quietly by and see some of their own class treated as if they had done some great crime, merely because they were earning a few pounds by running passengers across to England. Why, they have done it from far father to son as far as they can recollect, for there has never been a time yet when there were not people who wanted to pass from France to England and from England to France without asking the leave of the authorities. I think it could be managed, mademoiselle, especially, as you say, you can't afford to pay, for if one won't take you, another will. Trade is so bad that there are scores of men would start in their fishing boats for a voyage across the channel in hope of getting food for their wives and families. I was sure it was so, Marth, but I... It was so difficult to set about it. Everyone is afraid of spies, and it needs someone to warrant that we are not trying to draw them into a snare before anyone will listen. If your husband will but take the matter up, I have no doubt it can be managed. Set your mind at ease. The thing is as good as it's done. I tell you there are scores of men ready to undertake the job when they know it is a straightforward one. That is good news indeed, Jenny, Harry said when the girl told him of the conversation. It does not seem a way out of our difficulties. I felt sure you would be able to manage it, sooner or later, among the poor people you have been so good to. Hurry it on as much as you can, Jenny, and I feel our position is getting more and more dangerous. I am afraid I do not play my part sufficiently well. I am not forward enough in their violent counsels. I cannot bring myself to vote for proposals for massacre when there is any division among them. 
I fear that some have suspicions. I have been asked questions lately as to why I am staying here and why I have come. I have been thinking for the last few days whether it would not be better for us to make our way down the mouth of the river and try and bribe some fishermen and the villagers there who would not have that feeling against me that the men here have to take us to sea, or, if that could not be managed, to get on board some little fishing boat at night and sail off by ourselves in the hope of being picked up by an English cruiser. Harry indeed had for some days been feeling the danger was thickening round him. He had noticed angry glances cast at him by the more violent of the committee, and had caught sentencing expressing doubt whether or not he had really been Robespierre's secretary. That evening, as he came out from the meeting, he heard one man say to another, I tell you, he may have stolen it, and perhaps killed the citizen who bore it. I believe he is a cursed aristocrat. I tell you, I shall watch him. He has got some women with him. The Marie who saw the paper told me, I shall make it my business to get to the bottom of the affair, and we will make short work with him if we find things are as I believe. Harry felt, therefore, that the danger was even more urgent than he had expressed it to Jenny, and he had returned intending to propose immediate flight had not Jenny been beforehand with her news. Even now he hesitated whether even a day's delay might not ruin them. "'Have you told me all, Harry?' Jenny asked. "'Not quite all, Jenny. I was just thinking it over. I feared the danger is even more pressing than I had said,' and had repeated the sentence he had overheard. "'Even now,' he said, "'that fellow may be watching outside or making inquiries about you. He will hear nothing but praise.' but that very praise may cause him to doubt still more that you are not what you seem. But why can we not run away at once? Rogenie said. Why should we wait here till they come and take us and carry us away and kill us? That is what I was thinking when I came home, Rogenie. But the risk of trying to escape in a fishing boat by ourselves would be tremendous. You see, although I have gone out sailing sometimes on the river in England, I know very little about it. And although we might be picked up by an English ship, it would be much more likely that we should fall into the hands of one of the French gunboats. So I look upon that as a desperate step, to be taken only at the last moment. And now that Jeanne seems to have arranged a safe plan, I do not like trying such a wild scheme. A week now, and perhaps all might be arranged, but the question is, have we a week? Have we more than twenty-four hours? What do you think, Jeanne? I do not see what is best to do yet, Jenny said, looking steadily in the fire. It is a terrible thing to have to decide, but I see we must decide. She sat for five minutes without speaking, and then taking down her cloak from the peg on which it hung, she said, I will go round to Marth Pitchin again and tell her we are all so anxious for each other that I don't think we can judge what is really the best. Marth will see things more clearly and will be able to advise us. Yes, that would be the best plan. It was three quarters of an hour before she returned. I can see you have a plan, Harry said, as he saw that there was a look of brightness and hope on Jenny's face. Yes, I have a plan, and a good one, that is to say. Martha has. I told her about it, and she said directly that we must be hidden somewhere till her husband can arrange for us to sail. I said, of course. That was what was wanted. But how could it be managed? So she thought it over and we have quite arranged it. She has a sister who lives in a fishing village four miles down the river. She will go over there tomorrow and arrange them to take us, and will get some fisher girls' dresses for us. She says she is sure her sister will take us, for she was over here yesterday and heard about the child getting better, and Marth told her all sorts of nonsense about what I had done for it. 
She thinks we shall be quite safe there, for there are only six or seven houses, and no one but fishermen live there. She proposes that you shall be dressed in some of her husband's clothes, and shall go out fishing with her sister's husband. What do you think of that, Harry? Splendid, Jenny. Can the husband be trusted, too? Oh, yes, she says so. He is an honest man, she says. And besides, they are very poor, and a little money will be a great help to them. She says she would not propose it unless she was quite, quite sure of them. For if anything happened to us, she would be a wretched woman all her life. Thank God, Harry said fervently. That one sees daylight at last. I have felt so helpless lately. Dangers seem to be thickening around you, and I can do nothing. And now, Jenny, you have found a way out for us where I never should have found one for myself. It is God who has done it, not me, Jenny said reverently. I did not begin to go about among the poor people here with any thought of making friends, but because they were so poor and miserable. But he must have put it into my heart to do it in order that a way of escape might be made for us. End of chapter 12 Recording by Ryan Cherick